Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Back to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good morning, Mr. Halitech. How are you, sir? Good morning, Aaron. We are exactly one week from the opening of free agency, and uh, just what four and a half days until the legal tampering. So uh, we're, we're going to have a, a lot to talk about today. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the the proposed rule changes that they're going to have at the owners' meeting. Uh, our good friend of Halitech Hall, Lester Wolfong from Windy City Gridiron, is going to come on board in a little bit. And we're going to talk about the free agents that uh, they had a roundtable discussion at Windy City Gridiron. And several of the writers chimed in on the one guy they wanted to see the Bears sign. And conversely, the one guy they don't want to see signed. Uh, so that, that's going to be some fun topics to talk about. Of course, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the quarterback carousel and, and the, the quarterback of the day that that Bears Twitter wants the Bears to either sign or draft or trade for. And then last but not least, our history segment will concentrate on Willie the Wisp, Willie Gallimore, retired number 28 of the Bears, running back from the 50s through the 1963 championship season. So, uh, Aaron, uh, it's been Kind of a slow week uh, in the NFL uh, right before the free agency opens. Uh, but a couple of things came out. Uh, and the, the one of the most important ones is uh, talking about the, the, the rule change proposals that different teams submitted into the league. And there's a couple of interesting ones. A couple of them make sense. A couple of them I don't think have a shot at, at passing through the committee. But, um, you know, it happens every year this time. Yeah, for sure. Then this is uh, typical um, doings that go on this time of year. You know, there's always uh, rule changes. The NFL, you know, uh, at least says that they're always uh, trying to make the game safer. Um, and they certainly, uh, you know, try to <clears throat> make sure that uh, anything that the fans, uh, you know, are in an uproar about or the owners might be gets addressed. I don't know that they always succeed um, in that, but, uh, you know, they certainly try. I mean, I think if you if you look at the rule change uh, that was from the knee jerk reaction of the Saints game, I don't think that was that could be chalked up as a success. So it'll be interesting to see if that one sticks. Um and then there's some others that are on the table that I'm sure you're going to uh, tell us about. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit. The, the first one was submitted by, I believe it was Philadelphia. Uh, they want to modify the blindside block rule. 
Last year, they implemented a, a, a rule that says a offensive player or a return player, a, tick, a, a player on the return team, can't be moving towards their defending goal line in order to hit a, a defender. Uh, that's an illegal, illegal, illegal block. And there were some times where Tony Romo on uh, several of his broadcasts on, on CBS remarked how interesting the rule was. Uh, the interpretation was was to the letter of the rule, and there were some times where the, the defender is running into the offensive player or the, the player on the return team, and he might take one or two steps, and it's there's nothing there, but but a penalty was called, and I think that this would be a good amendment to that blindside rule. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that you look at that blindside rule and um, it it kind of makes the screens, uh, screen game and some of the uh, behind the line of scrimmage passing stuff. That's what a lot of these calls that people are frustrated with, um, you know, getting called blindside blocks is basically the offensive linemen are in front and then the, the you know, receiver or running backs behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, uh, a cornerback or whoever is trying to make the play and, the you know, the offensive lineman sort of turns around and blocks the guy and it's not a dangerous hit. It's not, you know, it's not uh, something that's outside the realm of what should happen and it gets called, um, you know. So this is, this is sometimes the the errors that they make you know when they're trying to think to do a good thing um you know you end up taking away something that should be part of the game um you know and it's i mean it's just that you're not gonna make football completely safe i mean at the end of the day i just i think that the league is is being very reactionary right now just because of you know the the you know the the dip in uh, participation in youth football and a lot of things like that. And I mean, it just, there's unintended consequences all the time with these rules. So, you know, you'd like to figure out a way sometimes I think for more of these things to get tested, but when can you do that? I mean, they're shrinking the preseason all the time and you don't have a developmental league, you know, they're not partnered with the XFL or whoever. So, you know, it's difficult to, to test these things out and then you get, you know, you basically get seasons that are affected because, you know, they, they pass some knee-jerk rule. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the second rule that uh, is, was also uh, suggested by Philadelphia, and I wasn't aware of this not being permanent, but to make scoring reviews permanent, um, Quite simply, the rule suggested by the Eagles would make the automatic review rule a permanent part of the NFL after the review rule has been in a trial period. If accepted, the rule that all scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul would be subject to review. I wasn't aware that that was even a policy. I know that all scoring plays were subject and all turnovers were subject to review, but I, I wasn't aware that it's an automatic review on a foul. So if they pick up the flag, then the, the, the play can stand and, and then it will be subject to a ruling, whether it was a turnover 
or a touchdown. So that was that was a, an interesting little little rule change that I, I took notice of, and I think that will pass without a problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I didn't really know that. That's interesting. But yeah, it shouldn't. That should. That just makes sense. Another rule that's uh, up for review, and I really like this rule because it's it has to do with onside kicks. And there is an alternative onside kick that they're talking about that would allow a team that is trailing in the game an opportunity to retain possession of the ball by basically converting what would be a fourth down and 15. They start at their own 25-yard line, so they have to con- convert at least 15 yards so they would end up having a first down at least at their own 40, uh, unless, of course, a defensive penalty uh, like uh, offensive holding or illegal use of hands mm-hmm. would create an automatic first down. I like the rule. I think it should be implemented, and it just is one interesting part of uh, uh, adding a little bit of excitement back into the game. Uh, the way that the kickoff rule is designed now, you you don't get a running start as the, as the kicker uh, comes up to the ball. So you have to start from one, year be, one yard beyond the 35-yard line. And what there were like three onside kicks converted all of last season, it, it basically rendered an onside kick a moot point. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, kickoffs, let, let's face it, kickoffs are basically rendered moot any longer because of the strength of these guys' legs. Um, there's no rule on the table to convert to. I got to tell you, I love the XFL's ruling on kickoffs. I don't know if you if you've paid attention. I don't know if our listeners have paid attention, but this is this is an interesting rule. The, the kicking team lines up, I believe, on the 30-yard line. And the, the, the return team lines up on their own 25. So, so they're only five yards apart. When the kicker kicks the ball, he has to kick the ball on the fly past the 20-yard line. If the ball does not go past the 20-yard line, the the receiving team gets the ball all the way on the 45-yard line of the kicking team. If the ball sails through the end zone or hits in the end zone on the fly, the ball comes all the way out to the 35-yard line. If the ball is hits in the field of play and the, the, the kicking, the receiving team doesn't elect to pick the ball up and it goes through the end zone, the ball is placed at the 15. So it it it's I just I just love the rule. You know the players on uh, that are lined up at uh, five yards apart can't move until the the receiving team the receiver catches the ball. Once he touches the ball, then the play goes live. It it creates a lot of excitement. Obviously, you don't have these these players running 40 yards and colliding into each other. So the the chance for injury is severely lessened. And I just I just like the rule. Unfortunately, that rule is not subject to review this particular year. Um, but the onside having an offensive play at the 25 yard line, 
I think I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, I think they're probably going to need to see a little more um, a sample size before they change the kickoff rule before that gets proposed. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of the XFL. I watched a little bit the first couple of weeks, but then I kind of lost interest, to be honest. But um, the it, it is it is fairly. Uh, I, I like the kickoff rule that they did. I think it's fun to watch. Um, as far as the onside kick change, I think it's good. I would I would maybe um, suggest you know that they do like fourth and twenty instead, just so that you take away the the fifteen yard penalty. Um, option just because i feel like teams would if you have you know teams would be playing for like a penalty maybe um that way although i i'm just i'd be surprised if they adopt this for this season again i think it's something that they want to probably see more of um if the xfl you know can continues and which it seems like it probably will but you never know um but yeah i mean onside kicks are the only thing I would say about the onside kicks that's a little bit interesting is that element of surprise. But usually when they're going to do it and they really need to do it, it's not a surprise anyway. So uh, it'd be hard to you know, argue against changing that rule just because onside kicks are so goofy anyway. And I do think they're pretty dangerous as well. Absolutely. Uh, game clock operation on declined offensive penalties. Um, I, this is another rule that I really think should be implemented. It allows if a offense, if an offense commits a penalty inside of the last two minutes of each half, the defense should have the option of having the game clock restart when the ball is made ready for play. Currently, the game clock won't start until the ball is snapped. And it, it just, you know, it delays the game, and it's it's just problematic. Um, you know, there's there were some some uh, penalties that were, were called. Uh, I, I can't remember. It was Tennessee against New England. And, you know, they had almost two minutes added, subtracted off the game clock because of these false starts and, and uh, uh delay of games and then the, the clock would restart and you, all these t- all this time is ticking off so so having game clock modifications i think would be a good idea uh, overtime modifications is another rule change uh, that again the eagles submitted and uh, it would they want to go back to from 10 minutes back to 15 minutes in overtime and then change um, how this how the game can end. So in other words, if the first team that gets the they, they wins the coin toss, they come down and score a touchdown. The opposing team gets a, one last possession. If they score a touchdown, the the game continues, similar to what it does now with a field goal, but taking the opportunity away from a team to at least possess the ball after the the coin toss in overtime is, uh, you know, used to be no problem. We never had a problem with this. And then we made the rule change about field goals. And now, you know, when when Kansas City and, and New England in the AFC championship game a couple of years ago went to overtime, New England got the ball, they went down and scored, and everybody was crying that, oh, Mahomes didn't get a chance because that was the year he threw for 50 touchdowns. So that's on the on – the, uh, uh, on the table. What do you think about that? 
Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's a lot to extend the game a full 15 minutes and, you know. Yeah, with, but it's only an extra five. Realistic. No, if I'm just saying like, far. right. I'm just saying like, they're also proposing that both teams get to touch the ball, which I feel like if both teams got to touch the ball, you'd essentially be, you know, that's why they want that extra five minutes, you know, in addition to that. Um, so I, I feel like, especially with the 17th game probably coming and then who knows, maybe beyond that, I just, I don't think, um, I don't think that that's what you want. You don't want to be playing a fifth quarter um, that often. Uh, and so as much as nobody likes ties, you know, I feel like maybe they should consider going to the college overtime format where, you know, they start from, I think they start from the other team 25 yard line. Uh, yeah. 25 yard line. I think that would be exciting, um, to watch, um, you know, college overtimes always seems, I don't watch a ton of college football, but whenever I've seen college overtime, it always seems pretty exciting. Um, you know, that might be something to consider. One thing I thought of, too, is that how how would a kickoff change affect this? You know, if you have this new XFL kickoff and then you're going to this overtime, you know, sometimes you have to, I guess they would have to think about how those two things combined might work, um, you know. So yeah. I, I don't I personally don't think that that rule needs to be changed. I mean, my feeling is if you get the ball and you go down and score, I mean, that's it. Game's over, you know. That's why they called it sudden death, Aaron. You know, yeah. it, it worked for it worked for a million years. You're right. I just don't – I, I don't. I think the crying about both teams getting the ball is just kind of like, well, then why have a coin flip at all? But they've talked about that, um, the coin flip going away completely and just giving the home team the ball. Uh, yeah, that, that'll, so, that'll go over like a lead balloon. Or the, or the choice. <laughs> yeah, the uh, – the last one we'll talk about is adding a booth, the eye in the sky, the an eighth official that would have access to all replays, all television angles, and he would be allowed to stop a play, any play, uh, if uh, if he sees something that that should be reviewed, whether it's a, a fumble, placement of the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with as fast as the league has grown and, and and how big these players are and how they fly around stuff happens. Let's, let's just, I mean, it just does trying to keep it G rated here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be, if it doesn't come this year, it's going to come soon. Yeah. That's a no brainer. You have to do that. That there's no way these refs can see all the action while thinking about their own well-being and trying to run around the field. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that the HD cameras and the coverage are sharper than the human eye. I mean, that's just reality. So, you know, and now people are sitting at home, they can run their own replays and they can, you know, basically do this on their own. So why is, why wouldn't the league follow suit? I mean, absolutely. You see, you see on Twitter, people become their own replay judges every every Sunday. So yeah. uh, it's, it's got to happen and it'll help the referees. I think I think the big thing that they have to consider, though, is sometimes the referees now are caught between whether or not they should make the call and not make the call. They just need to have this overseer who decides, you know, because the referees are constantly in this like if I call it, it's reviewable. If I don't call it and they don't I don't feel like they don't know what to do a lot of times. So they got to just let the the eye in the sky take care of it. 
Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, TickSplits. And when we come back, a uh, good friend of the Halitech Hall show, Lester Wilfong, is going to be uh, joining us. And we're going to be talking. Maybe we'll talk about this last rule. Uh, and then we're going to talk about free agency when we come back. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere yes use tickflips.com for all your ticket needs whether it's sports concerts music festivals and be sure to use promo code tailgate that's all caps t-a-i-l-g-a-t-e and save five percent on all your ticket purchases at our sponsor tickflips.com we are proud to welcome once again a good friend of the halitech hall show from windy city gridiron the incomparable Lester Wolfong. Good morning. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Morning, sir. Thanks for joining us. We're, sure, sure. we're doing Anytime. great. Hey, right before we brought you on, Lester, we've been talking about some of the rules, uh, suggested changes that were uh, offered up by, by various teams. It seems like the Eagles were, were pretty um, invested in some of these rule changes, but one of them uh, is being used extremely well by the XFL, and that's adding an eighth official, the quote-unquote eye in the sky, a booth umpire to oversee games and having the authority to uh, basically stop the game for a review on anything that he deems necessary. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I'm not sure how extensive you want to have that go. Um, I know when it was used in the, uh, the AAF uh, earlier before the XFL, you know, that was one of the rules they had that everyone figured would eventually make it to the NFL. And I think it's going to happen at some point. Um, I think they are going to want to make some restrictions on it because they don't want everything reviewable. But, you know, there's just so many times, like, especially some of these big hits where it's like, you know, the, the refs in the field call it a, 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 something where they let it with the head. You know, sometimes these things are just not, not so. So I think if you have a chance to get those plays right, I think you have to take a, that opportunity and do it. I think as a Bear fan, we can all agree if there was one play that should have been reviewed, it was the Cordero Patterson hit on the Green Bay punt yeah. return man where he clearly did not interfere with the, the catch. He hit him perfectly. He fumbled the ball, and the Bears recovered. That could have actually changed the entire output or outcome of that game. Yeah, that's a perfect example. A play like that where, you know, the refs call it one thing on the field. Right now they, they aren't allowed to review that type of play. You get the eye in the sky. You get some uh, some 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 restrictions on it, some limitations on it. But something like that it should be reviewed. And you get the call right. Ultimately, that's what the fans want. That's what the NFL wants. They want as many calls right as possible. Yeah, I think something else I need to look at is just this. I, I feel like the refs are often caught in between where they almost seem unsure of whether or not they should make the call or not make the call because of if they make it, it's reviewable. If they don't make the call, it's not reviewable or vice versa. Um, so I feel like the, the replay judge up in the booth would 
hopefully clear some of that up. Um, you know, but it's just so difficult for these refs to see the game better than we're seeing it at home. The cameras are so good. Uh, one thing I think they also need to really address is that every stadium should have the same setup in terms of cameras, you know, goal line cameras, um, you know, et cetera. You know, they've uh, they have the VAR and soccer um, and it's been standardized and obviously a goal is kind of more standard, I guess, than a goal line. Um, but I think that's that that's something that the NFL needs to take into account, you know, because they're just stadiums and games that have better coverage and better cameras. And it shouldn't you know, I mean, they're no more or less important just because they're uh, on prime time or not. So I think that's something that they, they got to address. But it d- definitely seems like a no brainer to add that um, that eye in the sky. Oh, I definitely agree. And if we're talking about, you know, doing some uh, some uh, upgrades to the cameras, let's get that uh, Chicago Bears all 22 Soldier Field feed look a little better for us. Yeah, the worst. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's ridiculous. I went on the tour um, and uh, of the Soldier Field tour, and you go in and you've got this amazing control room for all the video. Um, and, and, you know, we asked about, you know, the all 22 in there. And they spent, I mean, they said the Bears spent like millions of dollars putting together, you know, it looks like the, the control room of a big network. Um, and it's just to run the boards and the replays and everything in the stadium. It doesn't even have anything to do with the broadcast. So it's like they spent all this money on that, but then, you know, typical bears fashion, they forgot <laughs> about a very important coaching tool. So maybe, uh, yeah. maybe pace can get that pushed through. Um, get a better get it because they notoriously have the worst all 22 look uh, in the league. Agreed. Lester, we are what five days away from the opening of the legal tampering period (laughs) of free agency. And then of course, free agency opens exactly one week from today. So uh, hot on the topic of free agency is, you know, who's the one free agent that you want to see the Bears sign? And conversely, who's the one free agent you want the Bears to stay away from? And and on Windy City Gridiron, you held a roundtable with several of your writers to go over exactly that. But before we get started, um, there was something that came out over either yesterday or the day before, uh, which kind of threw an, yet another monkey wrench in the quarterback carousel in the NFL, and, and that is the possibility that RG3 might be available uh, for a low trade, a low late round trade pick. And when you take a look at, at Trubisky, and Bridgewater is a name we're going to talk about here in just a minute, and you took, take a look at RG3, they're all 6'2, 215 pounds, they're all similar. So that would be yet another interesting opportunity for the Bears to pursue. But since we're talking free agents today, uh, your your roundtable suggested, you know, you, Bridgewater is on there, a safety is on there, an offensive guard, and two offensive guards, an, an edge rusher, and a tight end. So let's go through these uh, these opportunities the Bears might have come Monday through Wednesday. Yeah, you know, I think that the, the Bears are going to be players in free agency, obviously, but I don't think they're going to be a, a big-time player. I think they're going to kind of wait and let the market set itself. Um, you know, the guy I mentioned, uh, uh, Darren Fells of the Texans, he actually just re-signed yesterday. 
Um, I was, I figured he would get a bit, a bit of a raise. The Texans had a few young tight ends that I know they really like over there. So I thought there might be a chance that, that the Bears could could get him if he was allowed to go to free agency. But the Texans, you know, went ahead and locked him up. Um, I, I just don't think the Bears spending a ton of money. I think they need to address right guard. Um, I think that's probably the biggest hole on the entire team right now. Um, they also want to look for safety. I kind of like what what uh, uh, Bill Zimmerman, my colleague at, at WCD, mentioned. He mentioned Tony Jefferson is a guy that can come in and come play that box safety. Um, kind of let uh, Eddie Jackson go back to his, his more natural free safety a little more more often than that. So there'll be some options there for the Bears. Um, it's just again, I think they're going to let the market market kind of set itself and kind of uh, be secondary players in free agency. Yeah, this this guy Tony Jefferson. You know, I I like what Bill had to say about him, and it's something that I have been talking about ever since the season ended. Eddie Jackson is best on the team playing center field and ball hawking. We didn't see that from him because he was playing too many times. He was playing the, the, the eight man in the box role and Clinton Dix was not. And I think that's one of the important things we need to see the bears address this year. Yeah. I think with Jackson, he, he's so talented. He can do both effectively. And he had a very good year last year playing up close to the line. He was playing more against the slot. He was doing a little more coverage there. Um, you know, he was blitzing on occasion. You know, he can do that. But but honestly, Eddie Jackson, he, he was so good, you know, the year before, you know, being back more. And I know the Bears kind of have their safeties interchangeable. They've always done that. That's kind of been the, the same scheme with Fangio as with Chuck McGowan did as well. But with Haha Clinton Dix, who isn't, you know, able to do both as effectively as Jackson, you know, it kind of forced the Bears' hand a bit. I think if you get a guy a little more like Adrian Amos, or a guy like Tony Jefferson, someone that can – come up and be a little more physical at the line, then you can let Jackson be back and do his thing. Is there a safety in the draft that can fill that that's going to be available in, in you know, rounds three or four? Yeah, there's a, a kid, a, a, a Kyle Duggar, I believe his name is, uh, uh, from Lenore. He, he might be there in the second round for the Bears. Um, the kid from SIU, uh, Jeremy Chin, I believe his name is. He's another one of those strong safety types. You know, those guys with the Bears, you know, the Bears have historically – you know, going back a few a few regimes now, all, all the way back to the Lovey Smith era, you know, they've never had a problem starting a rookie safety. If, if the safety's there and if safety can play, you know, the Bears will play him. So I think the Bears are going to double dip. They're going to try and get a, a veteran, a, a safety type, a strong safety type in free agency. But then I think if, if their board falls just right, they will draft a guy, and then the best guy will start next to Jackson. I just wish they could find a, a wide receiver in the draft that they can start as a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in in this draft, it's possible. This this draft, I mean, there are six or seven guys should, should go in the first round, um, and then there's at least 10, 10 to fifteen guys that may fall in that in, in the first second round range. So, you know, if the right guy falls, you know, don't be surprised if pace. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a, a real popular decision, but if a guy like like Min from Baylor does fall in to, to that forty third pick, that's a really really talented player. The Bears would be uh, hard pressed to pass on him. So here's a guy on the list that uh, um, Brandon Scherf, offensive guard, yeah. Eric, uh, and I've, I don't, I've never seen Eric writing on, on <laughs> your, on your, uh, on your website. So he's a, he's a new guy to me. And uh, to, I, I, I don't know anything about either Eric or, or Brandon <laughs> Scherf. With, with Eric, Eric, Eric uh, uh, Durwak there, and I'm probably butchering his last name. He's my guy, but he does more stuff in season. Uh, he he kind of jumps in these roundtables every now and again. 
Um, you know, he, he likes Scherf. I, I like Scherf too, but I think the Redskins are either going to tag him or I think they're going to lock him up. He's just too good right now to, for them to let go. I think he's going to definitely stay there. Um, but if you want to talk guards, you know, uh, I think a, a Graham Glasgow was mentioned as well in that article uh, from the Lions. Uh, the Lions already said they were not going to bring him back. So if he doesn't come back, I mean, he's another guy. On, on the, uh, when I voted for President Trump, I was encouraged by what he said. Sorry about that. Something on my computer just flared up, and I'm like, oh, my God, where is that coming from? But, well, you know, and, uh, we had uh, uh, Bill Zimmerman on our on my other show, and he mentioned both Tony Jefferson and Graham Glasgow. So um, I like both those guys. Um, I also uh, would like them to take a look at Carl Joseph from the Raiders. For sure. Um, He's a he's a really uh, good, pretty young safety um, that's out there. Um, I think there's a lot of options at safety on the free agent market that shouldn't be too expensive. Uh, unfortunately, the Bears really have almost nobody signed. They've got Kentrell, Bryson, and, and Eddie right now, um, yeah. and they'll probably bring back Deion Bush. I don't know if uh, DeAndre Houston Carson comes back. Um, or not, and then I guess um, Sherrick is technically in the safety category, I suppose. Um, you know, I don't know if Sherrick will come back either. Um, but yeah, I would say those are those are important, um, you know, uh, things to address for sure. And, you know, and as far as I don't see, I think I tend to agree with you. I don't see them making a big splash. Um, although what I would really love. And they won't do it. But my my dream scenario would be that they let Leonard Floyd walk and they spend money on like a Jadavian Clowney or, you know, some real impact pass rusher type of guy. Because I just think, you know, that's uh, that's you've already invested all this money in Khalil Mack. If you don't invest to protect that investment, then you're you know, you're making a mistake. And you look at the secondary play and the secondary play regressed across the board um, because there was no pass rush. Yep. The, the pass the pass rush is the key to these guys in the secondary being able to get these turnovers and make these plays on the ball. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle Fuller without a pass rush is a pretty ordinary corner because his whole game is predicated on jumping routes and you know it's got to be it's got to be timed with the pass rush and and different you know things like that so uh i i would personally and again i don't really see them doing this but if i was in charge i would take a risk and and get a you know make a big splash on um you know one of these big pass rushers that's out there yeah i think brad biggs had it yesterday in the tribune um where he said it's it's becoming a real possibility that bears you know could rescind that option um, I think what's more likely is the Bears are going to come at Floyd with a, uh, I'm not going to say a, a take it or leave it deal, but they're going to come at him with a with a long-term deal that, that, that lowers that that hit this year, kind of gets him a little more, more guaranteed money spread out, maybe three or four-year contract, and then hope to re-sign him. And if, if they can't work it out, then I think the only option is to let him go. Uh, I hate to see it just personally because I don't think you want you want to make a hole on that defense unless you have a surefire thing behind him. And uh, and hoping you get a guy in free agency is not really the best way to go. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, money talks. And if they can get it done, they're going to get it done. Well, one of the things that's made this all more challenging is that the, uh, the player vote has been pushed back to Saturday. So they were yeah. supposed to vote tomorrow. And now it's been pushed back to Saturday. So there's going to be this really, really, you know, basically like 24 hours, maybe 48 hours between uh, when that vote happens, which most people believe it's going to pass. But 
there's been some pretty kind of interesting happenings with the change in the uh, the president of the NFLPA. And then, um, you know, uh, there's a, a lawsuit that was filed by Russell Okung, basically, you know, sort of challenging the idea that the executive committee even pushed this through to a vote. So there's a there's a light, loose chance, I feel like, or a, or a decent chance that there's a snag in this labor agreement that most people are sort of chalking up as done. So it's going to be interesting to follow over this weekend. Um, you know, and one of the things I think is always funny is it's like, why don't they just call it the negotiation period? Like, I, <laughs> they're so anti-tampering and they're supposedly, even though, you know, everybody knows that these GMs and players and agents are all texting each other, you know, all the time. But then to call it the legal tampering, it's like, yeah. it, you know, it's like if on Saturdays we were allowed to drink and drive. We'll call it the legal drinking and driving <laughs> period. It's like, you know, it's, it's either legal or it's not. So, yeah. you know, it's and, kind of and, for us, for our guys at our site, we have a strict uh, no use on the legal tampering term. Uh, we like to refer to it as the early negotiating uh, negotiating window or early negotiating period. Right, right. And that's exactly what it is. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. why don't we, you know, call it, call, uh, call it what it is instead of uh, all this mumbo jumbo um, I, Aaron, you just hit the nail on the head. The, you know, the the league is so anti this and anti that. To call it legal tampering is just absolutely ridiculous. We were just talking about Leonard Floyd for a, a little bit and creating the hole at, at edge rusher. Patty Curl uh, on your roundtable uh, started to address that with a guy, uh, Mario Addison. Tell us yeah. a little bit about Mario. You know, he, he's, he actually was a bear briefly years ago on the practice squad. I think he may have even had a, had a brief cup of coffee on, on, the, on the, the, the active roster. Um, he's a guy that's been a really effective as a pass rusher in Carolina. Um, more of a 4-3 defensive end, but, you know, bottom line, he's a pass rusher. So in the bear scheme, that's what he would do. He would come in. He, he's more of a, uh, I think, a, at this point in his career, a, a number three guy. He'd be a great guy if you can get him up uh, at, a, at a, fairly, a fairly reasonable deal and have him rush the pass on, on obvious passing situations. I think that's where he at. he's at in his career right now. But 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 I'd, I'd be good with a guy like that. I'm just worried if they, you know, I mean, I hope they re-sign Nick Williams. Obviously, Roy Robertson Harris is an exclusive rights uh, free agent, um, you know. But I'm worried if they don't have a real guy that's another threat because it. You know, people want to say Mac was hurt. I, I, you know, that's that's not been confirmed in any way, shape, or form. Basically, the the Raiders put out a blueprint on how to how to stop Khalil Mack, and it you know it it worked. And for me, Akeem Hicks being back will be great, but he is getting older, and you know you just saw what happens when he goes down. It's basically, you know, it's just an entirely different defense. So uh, they've got to, in my mind, you know, um, invest in another guy that really threatens and really commands another double team. And that will help, you know, that will help a lot of things. I mean, it kind of, I think it kind of depends on if they're going to spend a bunch of money on the offensive side of the ball. They may not have the money to do that. So, it, you know, it kind of might go back to the quarterback dominoes. Yeah, you know, I, I think the Bears want to bring back Nick Williams. He played really good in relief of Hicks last year. Um, I think a, a big key for the Bears on the D-line is they need to get Bilal Nichols uh, to live up to what he looked like as a rookie. He had a, yeah. bit of a down, he had a bit of a down year last year. He had the injury, I think the broken hand, kind of stunted his development. 
Um, so this is a big offseason for him. He needs to come in in great shape and hopefully puts on some strength, a little, little bit of muscle. Um, he gets in, in and just has a phenomenal offseason and give the Bears that hope and, and the belief that he can actually take that step that of the promise that he showed when he was a rookie. Because as a rookie, he looked pretty good. He was a good pass rusher. Um, he, had, he had his moments where he kind of hit, uh, uh, hit the rookie wall late in the season. You know, but he's a good uh, one-gap guy. Um, if he can get his strength up, he can play a little two-gap for you. So, Belong Nichols, is a, it's a big year for him this year. The last guy that's on this list, in fact, two of your writers uh, elected that this is the one guy that the Bears have to sign. And, of course, it goes back to the old quarterback dilemma, and that's Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. Both Ken Mitchell and, and Robert Zaglinski both said this is a guy we can't pass up. You know, I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to just make too much money this year. Um, for the Bears to even be in in the market. I think he's going to command well over $20 million a year. And if that's the case, that's how the market kind of shapes up for him. There's just no way the Bears can get involved. If it comes in a little less than that, if, if that's kind of how the market shapes up, um, I think then the Bears probably should look into that because, you know, he was decent in Minnesota a few years back. He had, the, of course, the bad injury. And he kind of worked his way back to become relevant again in the NFL. Um, a lot of that has to do, of course, with the same scheme. You know, they're really good over there with the, what they do with the quarterback stuff. But, you know, he's a guy that's going to get paid, and I don't think the Bears can afford him. So when we talked, when we started, when we just brought you on, Lester, one of the things that we talked about was this recent development over the last uh, 48 hours where Robert Griffin might be available in a trade. And he's got a lot of similarities to Bridgewater. Uh, he had and it's some similarities to, with Mitch. So let yeah. me explain. Let me explain that he 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 found success early, like Mitch did. Let's say 18, Mitch wasn't great, but he he wasn't the Mitch we saw in 19, and he showed a lot of promise. Then he suffered some injuries and he suffered some setbacks. He has settled in as a veteran backup quarterback. Uh, he was right. He 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 studied behind Lamar Jackson in Baltimore last season. Uh, he could come in, be the backup, ready to take over if need be, and help tutor Mitch. They're very similar in size. Uh, you know, he ran the he ran the forty in four point four one. He's six foot two, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and he's he's almost a clone to what Mitch is physically. Uh, you know, I, I kind of every ever since I saw this posted, I believe it was yesterday morning. I'm warming up to this idea more and more as the hours go by. You know, I've always liked mobile quarterbacks. So I've always kind of had my eye on those guys when they come in the NFL. And RG3 is a guy, like you said, he had some success with Washington early on. Um, he had that bad knee injury, and in, in, I think it was in the playoffs game. He kind of messed up his career a little bit. So the thing with RG3 is is we haven't seen him do it from the pocket as much as, as we, we'd like a veteran quarterback to do. If he is still the same guy he was before, where he relies on his feet to really uh, to, to to get the the good the, the good windows open for him to make make the passes and and to threaten the defense, if that's still who he is, you know we got to see if that knee's healthy. If it is, then yeah, I think he'd be in play. I think at this point, every veteran quarterback's in play for Ryan Pace. He just needs to get someone in here that he, that he believes can 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 either push mix push Mitch, which is his, his last case scenario. Or, or I'll take the job. I think that's what they want to do. They want to find a guy that can come in and win that job 
And like I said, the worst case scenario, all they're all he's doing is pushing Mitch to be the best he can be. And and honestly, I'd love to see Trubisky be the guy. I'd love to see him live up to the to the draft position. I'd love to see him step up and, and take that step as a, as a quarterback, the step that I thought he'd make last year. If it maybe takes him a year longer to make, if that's the case, so be it. I just don't know if it's possible based on what I saw last year out of Trubisky. I would personally not be a fan of RG3 coming in here. I don't I don't like the injury history, and I don't think he's ever played a really running offense like Nagy's. Um, I mean, he I'm sure he can do the RPO stuff. It's not that not that challenging. I would just worry that he's that that would be uh, hard for him to you know go from the offense that Greg Roman runs in Baltimore. Um, you know, and then, you know, he's previously run at other stops. Uh, he's certainly a talented athlete. I just feel like that at RG3 would be like if nothing else worked out, like if Case Keenum doesn't work yeah. out, if Matt Moore doesn't work out, if if we're really like, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, to me, that's where I would view RG3 as. And also, I think the Ravens like him. So I would, you know. I'd be surprised if they if they were to let him go, um, you know, as far as that goes. And then, you know, I, like you said, if I, I don't know if he's going to – is he really going to push Mitch? I mean, to me, that would signal – that would kind of leave us putting a lot of eggs in the, the Mitch basket. And, I, you know, I ultimately I've been pretty down on Mitch, and I agree with you. I hope you know, for, for everybody's sake that he does turn it around – um, but but my fear is that he turns it around just enough to make the decision, uh, you know, difficult, and then they just they just cave and sign him, and you know, and then we're stuck with a 25 million dollar kind of middling quarterback. Yeah. On the other side of that coin, Aaron and Lester, yeah, he's cap friendly. He's only making just what one less than two million dollars per year. So he, I think he's talented enough to push Mitch and to mentor him. So I, I seriously, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, like I'm kind of with Aaron though. I mean, if that's the the, I think he's an option, but I think he may be more allowing like uh, plan, plan, uh, you know, you know X, Y, or Z. I don't think he's up to near the top of their of their. Uh, of, of like the Daltons and the cars and even the Cam Newtons. I think if they're going to make a trade, um, I think there are better guys available, but, but, but like I said, I, I've always liked the, the game of these guys that are really mobile quarterbacks. My only concern with him is, you know, is he the same guy he was early? I mean, how much did, did that injury affect his, his, his athleticism? And if that's, uh, if he's not the same guy, I'm not sure if he's worth the risk. Well, I mean, when was the last time he even played in a game? That's that's my concern is I can't I can't re- remember when he, he played, played briefly last. last year. I think he played in the last uh, Ravens game a little bit. Um, right. But, you know, they run that same Greg Roman offense, you know, but going from Lamar Jackson to anyone is going to look like a huge drop. So he did not look like the same athlete he was. But again, you're going from Lamar Jackson to RG3. I mean, he, he played he started five games in Cleveland in 2016. And but that was Cleveland. <laughs> right. But, you know, I don't know. I, 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 that to me would be uh, it would be, a, 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 like I said, a C, a C or a D plan. But well, let's um, let's put it this way. Aaron. Here's a question for you. Who would you rather have the Bears back? If you're going to commit to Mitch, like all all signs are indicating, mm-hmm. who yeah. would you rather the backup be Chase Daniel or RG3? Uh, well, and for the price, RG3, but 
I don't. I just don't see that. Like, I feel like Case Keenum or Matt Moore or, um, you know, any number of other guys would probably be available and more realistic. Um, but and far Keenum, more expensive. Yeah, far well, Keenum, more expensive. Keenum only made like three million dollars last year. Uh, Matt Moore only made like two and knows the Chiefs offense. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I'm not trying to just poo-poo it. I'm just saying I don't. It's not one I would choose. <laughs> so then now we flip the coin about the, the one free agent you want the Bears to stay away from, Lester. And two quarterbacks made that list, uh, both Andy Dalton and uh, Marcus Mariota. So uh, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, I mean, we'll come to those two quarterbacks. Like I said, I think Dalton's definitely in the mix for the Bears. Um, I th- you know, it's already been reported they've, they've had some trade talks with Cincinnati. I think with Dalton, he's a guy that the Bears are going to maybe fall, fall back on if they can't get another uh, upgrade. Um, I do think the Derek Carr thing is real. I think the Raiders want to move on from him. I know some of the, the, the Tom Brady juice has kind of died down a little bit, but that's kind of what happens here. We get a lot, a lot of buzz early um, in, in the offseason, and then it kind of dies down right before it happens. Um, but I also think the Raiders are looking maybe possibly with uh, Ryan Tannehill. I just don't know if Gruden likes Carr. I think uh, they've they've said the right things, but there's always these little things where you hear them talk and you're like, you know, there's just no way Gruden wants Carr. He wants his guy. He wants his hand-picked guy, and that's what they're going to go with, I think, in Las Vegas. And plus, they want a a bigger name. So if they can get a guy like Brady or a guy like uh, maybe even Cam Newton in a trade, I think they go that way, and that frees up Derek Carr for a trade to the Bears. Yeah, Aaron, what do you a, think? I have a hard time getting excited about Andy Dalton. I'll be honest. Like I feel like, um, you know, he was one of the few quarterbacks that statistically was worse than Mitch last year. Um, but, and I really don't like the idea of giving up draft capital to get him, which, which people I've heard it go anywhere no. from a second to a third to a fifth round to get him um but there's also been rumors that they've already talked with dalton about negotiating uh some sort of a different contract so yeah. you know so then i think well okay so they give up a fifth rounder and they get the contract down to you know to maybe 10 million dollars for this year and they have them for like a a second year with some some escalators some some performance you know bonuses if he ends up starting you know, and then I sort of could be convinced, I guess, a little bit that that might be. It just feel to me that just feels like such a like half half move. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like they're really choosing anything. Like you're just kind of choosing a guy, you know, um, who you know might be better. And obviously the history with Laser is there, um, you know, and and so that's good, I suppose. But I just think that, like, you know, it 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 would concern me, you know, to to bring in Dalton and have to spend draft capital. I don't want to do that. And then, no. you know, um, you know, again, I don't know if he's really better. I mean, people say, well, he had no weapons, you know, last year, and it's like, oh, okay, but I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know if you can make that excuse for him. Or not, you know, I mean, he was so bad. Like, it, it's really, you know, for me, I, I just I hold out hope for Derek Carr or otherwise, you know, let's just spend to make the rest of the team as good as possible. And and if if and just give Mitch one last shot 
and bring in a backup that's better than Daniel and just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Um, I, I am not, I don't view this season as like make or break for Pace and Nagy the way that everybody else seems to. I think the organization is is happy with these guys and, and the direction of the team. So I think as long as they don't go three and 13 and, and, and look embarrassing, um, I think that they're the, the, the organization is, is going to stick with them and, and ride it out. Yeah, I kind of agree with that assessment. I think, uh, you know, Dalton's definitely not an exciting uh, uh, option. But, you know, I think if he came in, he'd be a guy that could kind of, uh, I think he'd, he, if, if it was a fair competition all the way through, I think he wins the job. Uh, but I think if it's uh, close at all, I think they kind of go with uh, their guy, just kind of see what happens. But, again, not the most exciting of options. But at this point, you know, you got you got to see what's out there. And I don't see him spending a huge in free agency, so it's going to be one of these trade guys probably. Well, nobody wants to talk about Dalton's playoff numbers, which are just abysmal. No, they're bad. Yeah, he, he's like, been bad early in his career. So yeah. bad. Like they're, I mean, I, it's just like everybody's like, oh, look at this season, look at this season. It's like, but look at his five playoff games. They're horrendous. Like, like he's got one touchdown, five picks. Like he's just brutal in the playoffs. So it's like I don't. You know, like Dalton's a guy that makes me feel like, hey, let's see what Mitch can do. <laughs> you know, so. <Yeah. laughs> just, so, you know, we've got these quarterbacks, Marcus and, and Andy, that people uh, on your roundtable wanted to stay away from. It was interesting to see that there's an offensive guard on this list that was on the other list. One you wanted to see the Bears pick up, but. Brandon Scherf shows up on the the one we should stay away from, and that was from uh, your uh, contributor Robert Schmitz. Yeah, I think that goes along with the money thing. I think Scherf's going to command, you know, twelve, thirteen million a year. If he's not tagged, I think he's definitely going to get a huge money. And I don't think, uh, I don't think with Robert, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he just doesn't want to see the Bears spend that kind of coin, especially when you get some other guys out there, maybe. You know, eight nine million, a little cheaper. That's out there, and uh, I, I kind of see that. I mean, I would love the Bears to get a guy like Scherf. He's a definitely stud at that spot. He would definitely fit what the Bears want to do. He's got the the, 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 the nasty streak in him, um, but I just don't see that happening because of the money. One thing that we talked about with a couple of our guests recently was, uh, I'm going to throw this out to you and see what you think. What if when the Bears are selecting in the best offensive lineman available when it's their turn happens to be a center and you can move Whitehair to one guard, Daniels to the other guard, get an all-pro caliber center through the draft, saving a lot of free agent money, cap space, and sit and then slot him in as your center? Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if I know I, I, I I talk about this a little bit with, uh, with our, one of our draft guys, uh, EJ Snyder. Uh, we talk about having a guy that can kind of play all three interior spots there would just give the Bears more options. If you get a guy like Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU, he's definitely one of the top centers in, in the game right now in, in college. And if he's the guy who's sitting there and the Bears have him high on their board, I think it's definitely something they got to think about. The problem with the Bears is, is they kind of went through an inexperienced center last year. So they may kind of have that in the back of their mind where they don't want to deal with that again because that really stunted the growth of the offensive line. You know, when they made that switch, they didn't get acclimated to the spots. There were some issues with with uh, with pass protection, some issues in run blocking with those two guys working together. Um, so if you are going to make that decision and you are going to bring a rookie in and give him that spot, I think they got to play as much in the preseason as possible, just kind of get used to each other. Yeah, that's the other bugaboo is the the lack of 
of uh, the continuity the offensive line had because they didn't you don't you don't have practices like you used to let's just let's just call it what it is so you don't know what you've got until you you're you're going up against live ammunition as it were and not playing in the preseason i understand we want to keep everybody healthy but at the point of regressing the offense because the continuity isn't there is just it's just poor coaching in in my opinion Another guy that's on this list, he's on this list a couple of times, and I believe even you talked about it, is uh, Bill, you, and Sam Householder, Bill Zimmerman, all selected Eric Ebron as a guy to stay away from. Uh, you point out money factors, and he's not that great of a blocker, and he has trouble hanging on to a ball. So somebody I think we should definitely stay away from. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I mean, I think if you can get him at, at, a, at, a, at a decent price, five, five, six million a year, I think maybe then you think about it. Um, but I think with the money they have tied up already in Trey Burton, who's going to be making close to eight million this year. I don't think you can justify dropping, you know, you know, nine, 10, 11 million on a top tight end like Eric Ebron or Austin Hooper of the Falcons. I mean, if you're going to drop $10 million on a tight end, you better be a game changer. You better be a guy that that the defense have to scheme around because he's so damn good. And I don't think Cooper or Ebron is that guy. Yeah, going back to the offensive line, uh, we pretty much covered the the list of uh, the guys on on your roundtable. One of the guys that impressed last year uh, was Alex Bars, uh, and he didn't get a chance much during the regular season. He's now what two years removed from this serious knee injury he had in college. And maybe this is the guy that can step up and, and fill that void at guard. Yeah, I thought Bars looked really good in preseason. You know, he looked pretty good at guard. He was kind of forced to play some tackle in preseason, and he kind of held up well for a guy that really didn't do it much at Notre Dame. I mean, he did it briefly, I think a little bit of right tackle at, at, for the Fighting Irish, but, you know, you know, not enough to where you would think, yeah, this guy can project out there. Uh, but but he looked good. And then the thing with in this season – you know, he started off, the Bears caught him, he came back to the practice squad, he got active late, and I think he only played a few snaps as like a six offensive lineman. But he's a guy that, that I think is in the mix. I'm just not sure if the team wants to trust him as the uh, as the guy moving forward. Um, but if he wins the job, I think they'll go forward. I know last year here at Houston, he's not big on playing rookies unless he definitely absolutely has to, or they absolutely just, you know, dominate and win the job. That might have been one of the reasons why he didn't get, you know, too many reps, but... I think with a guy like Bars, you know, he had the, the pedigree at Notre Dame. Uh, he would have been definitely been a draft pick had he not had the knee injury. So moving forward, I think he's a guy that they like. Um, I just understood like him enough to make him a starter. I think that the big question, you know, I'm wondering is, is we just made all these changes on the coaching staff. And it's, you know, my question is, is did we do that to help the overall, you know, scheme and everything? Or is it to develop young guys? You know, I I just as a you know as a Bears fan for a long time I have a hard time imagining them changing the whole coaching staff and then spending big in free agency on top of that. Not to not to perpetuate the Bears are cheap rumor or lie really because I don't think they are. But you also just have to think about that they're now paying a whole group of coaches that are not there anymore. They're yeah. paying a new group of coaches and then. You know, yes, they may, you know, they obviously want to spend the cap space, but it's like I just I think Bears fans should be prepared for what you're talking about, which is them not 
spending big in free agency, um, you know, and hoping to get, you know, to, to, to get some development um, out of some guys and, you know, um, you know, and hoping that this that the new coaching staff, Clancy Barone and the tight ends, Juan Castillo and the offensive line, you know, can can get more out of what they've got on the on the roster, you know, um, as well as what might be available and undrafted and, you know, second, third tier uh, guys. Uh, I think that's more realistic, um, you know, in terms of what they're going to do. Yeah, when you look, yeah, when you look at the roster, just talking about offensive linemen, on the current Bears roster on their website, not counting Kyle Long, who is still showing uh, is a re- injured reserve, the, they have 13 offensive linemen on their roster. Uh, you have you have T.J. Jennings or Clemmings. Uh, you've got uh, a couple of rookies on, on future reserves. Dino Boyd is uh, is a guy. Mustafer is is there, and then of course the guys on the 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 roster currently: uh, Cody Whitehair, Bobby Massey, Cornelius Lucas, Corey Levin, Charles Leno, Ted Larson, James Daniels, Richard Coward, Alex Bars. So, you know, there's there's a lot there. So, you know, I, I like what Aaron has to say about these these new coaches coming in and dealing with the talent that they have. But uh, obviously, if there's a guy through the draft that is better than any of these guys, I think you got to pick him if he's the best player available. Yeah, I think a few of those guys you mentioned are actually free agents. I think Larson may be a free agent. I think Lucas may be as well. So the Bears are going to need to figure out the swing tackle role again. Um, and then at guard, you know, we mentioned the hole at right guard there. So I think they need a starter. And I think they need to upgrade the swing tackle, the swing guard spot too. Um, I, I do still like Rashad Coward to a point. Uh, but if you can upgrade him, you do it. He's just, he looked good at in flashes. Uh, so you kind of see what he does. But he's still very raw. I mean, he hasn't really taken the O-line as much as quickly as you would hope. Um, the, the coaching of Harry Stan you know, for a couple of years helped him, but you know, obviously not enough. I'm not sure he's a guy that you want to trust as your as your guy. Maybe kind of sneak him back through maybe to the practice squad as one of your the older guys on that practice squad again. But you got to upgrade that the offensive line. You know the backups. I don't think four of those starters are kind of entrenched. It's just the way it is, the way the money goes. Um, I think the Bears still trust those guys. But you get right guard figured out. I think you're uh, you're halfway there to getting an O line fixed. I mean, I just think Pace has shown us he's not a guy that spends high draft picks on offensive line. I mean, did it with Daniels and Whitehair, both second round picks, but, and he's not a guy that's, that's going to spend a ton of money on the offensive line period. So I think the reason he stands not here anymore is because of the, the failure of the switch with Whitehair and Daniels, the, the, you know, the failure of the development of Rashad Coward, the, um, you know, maybe he was reluctant to, to, to get bars into the mix, and that's why it never happened. Um, you know, uh, obviously Leno had his pen. I mean, you know, basically last year the offensive line was, was pretty much a disaster in the run game. It wasn't as bad as people maybe think in the past, but um, I think that's why he stands not here anymore. So if I'm really predicting what I think is going to happen, I think they're – Pinning, pinning this on Castillo, uh, developing the talent that they have, and, and then adding a few uh, key veteran pieces, you know, at, at, at good prices. Uh, and they'll probably be more likely to spend in the safety, um, the safety area, uh, and and hopefully, I hope in the pass rush area. 
Yeah, sounds about right. I think they got to address guard at some point with the veteran. But like I said earlier, they may let the market set itself. They, may, they, right. may, might, they might wait and see some guys who get cut late. Um, right. Kind of like a Josh Sitton situation from a few years back. Uh, see who shakes loose. You know, we're, we're really early in, in, in the summer and see what happens and make, make the best move there. Right. Lester Wolfong from Windy City Gridiron, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I think you are by far our, our, uh, the guest that's been on our show most often, along with the, some of the other guys from, from Windy City Gridiron. We really appreciate you guys being friends of our show, and you're always welcome to come on anytime. You don't need an invitation. If you have something that you want to you want to talk about, you feel free to reach out to me anytime, Lester. Sounds good. Lester, before we cut you loose. Oh, he already left. <laughs> <laughs> he had to go. It, it's time to go. We appreciate it. I think we, we had him on over 45 minutes, and we appreciate every second that the guys from Windy City Gridiron gives us. So uh, uh, we'll be right back after a message from TickSplits.com, and we'll talk about Willie the Wisp. Gallimore. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TIXBLITZ.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks again, as always, to our sponsor, TickSplits, uh, TickSplits.com. And you, of course, can go on there and find just about any ticket you need for any show, any type of uh, sporting event, any ticket, any venue, anywhere. Uh, use the promo code TAILGATE to save 5% off your order. Uh, thanks again to our fantastic uh, frequent guest, Lester Wiltfong from Windy City Gridiron. Uh, check out all their great work. Definitely a, a can't-miss uh, stop for any Bears fans looking for uh, coverage. And so we appreciate him coming on, and he always has uh, great contributions. Every week, we try to go over some Bears history, which kind of sets apart the Halitech Hall Show from all of the other podcasts in Bears Twitterverse. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to go and review Bears history, especially with our listeners who are in their 20s and 30s and even 40s that aren't familiar with some of the, some of the players that made this franchise what it is, the greatest franchise in all of pro football. Uh, the series that we started a couple of weeks ago deals with retired jersey numbers by the Bears. And this week, uh, it's number 28. Uh, this this uh, athlete played for Florida A&M University. Uh, Willie Gallimore, he played for the Bears from, from uh, 1957 to 1963, he was part of the uh, the uh, running back by committee that George Halas used in the 60s. Uh, he was actually Chuck Bednarik and Doug Atkins, uh, some great Hall of Fame members of their own right, described Gallimore as one of the best runners they ever faced. In a documentary short by NFL Films on Gallimore, it was said that he was probably the last great find as by an NFL scout before, before NFL scouting became sophisticated. 
Bears assistant coach Phil Handler at the time was scouting for talent in Florida, and he received a tip about Gallimore, and he went down to, to take a look at, at Willie. He ended up being drafted 58th overall in the fifth round of the 1956 NFL draft, and his play was absolutely legendary. His lateral speed uh, and his straight-ahead speed was absolutely legendary. Um, a lot of people think that Gale Sayers was the fastest, one of the fastest bears ever. Here's an interesting tidbit, Aaron. Gallimore and Gale Sayers had the exact same 100-yard time at 9.7 seconds. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm, I'll be real honest. I don't know much about uh, Gallimore. Certainly before my time, um, clearly, uh, I, you know, I think he's... Unfortunately, uh, a lot of Bears fans know him for his for his untimely passing, um, you know, out in Rensselaer. So um, it's uh, it's you know it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a tragic uh, story, um, you know, since he was just probably coming into his prime uh, right around that time. You know, Gallimore uh, was driving the car heading back to they'd gone out for pizza. They were they were bringing pizza. They being teammate. Uh, Bo Farrington. Bo Farrington holds the record for the longest touchdown reception in Bears history at 98 yards. Um, he, Gallimore was driving a Volkswagen, left the road on a curve, rolled uh, a few miles away from the training camp. He, both players were ejected from the vehicle, and then the, the vehicle hit them, uh, killing both of them instantly. So, yeah, it's just an absolute tragedy. Uh, after his passing, the Bears retired his number. And, um, you know, six foot one, 187 pounds, 9.7 second, 100 yard dash. Absolutely, some just some amazing statistics. Uh, ranking, when you look at the, the uh, website, uh, Chicago Tribune ranked the 100 best players ever for the Bears, and Willie Gallimore was ranked. 60th and think of all the bears players that just in your lifetime aaron that you would put on this list you could probably name 60 right off the top of your head to have gallimore even though he only played for seven seasons be that guy he's uh it's it's absolutely stunning to to see when you start looking in to gallimore's career yeah, I mean, and I also, you know, you, you can't imagine how uh, that affected the team to, uh, you know, to have to lose uh, two players like that, um, you know, and obviously you think, I, I also think about, you know, at that time, uh, seatbelts were probably not even standard in cars, and you think, well, you know, that would have probably been something that would have saved them um, at that time. Um, but you know the the uh, the 64 season was not a not a good one, and you have to think you know that that had something to do with it. Um, you know that type of thing. You, you can't. And one player is enough, but two um, lost in that way must have been uh, really hard for the team to, and the organization to deal with. Yeah, in fact, many players uh, went went on to say that they never recovered from from that you know, that, that tragedy. And mm -hmm. they ended up, you know, they were the NFL champions in 63 and they stumbled to a five and nine record in 64. That is one of only six 
seasons that Hal has coached in the NFL with a losing record. Yeah, and I mean, and honestly, you know, who can blame them? I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to think about football and doing something like that after you lose two friends uh, in such a shocking shocking way so um you know it's always like you said we always like to look back at uh history on this show and um remember uh you know all the parts of the rich history and um tapestry of players that have played for this organization uh you know and um you know it's a it's a, a rich uh story uh you know to go with that and unfortunately there's there's tragedy that sometimes goes with uh, any sort of historical uh research that you do in 2008, the NFL Network aired a special on the most elusive runners in NFL history. Uh, and surprisingly, Walter Payton is not on that list, but here's some of the guys that were. Dickie Post, Joe Washington, Randall Cunningham. So it's elusive runners, not just running backs. Mm -hmm. uh, Red Grange, Bobby Mitchell. Hugh McElhenney, Marshall Falk, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders was number one. Willie Gallimore was 10th on that list. That wow. says a lot about, about this guy. Uh, I had the, the pleasure of, of seeing a lot of film of him when I was, when I was a child. Uh, and his elusiveness was just absolutely amazing. So here's, here's the dilemma. It's funny how NFL history happens. Uh, Willie Gallimore was killed tragically in, in 1964, right? They were already in camp. He was coming back with Bo Farrington from getting pizza to bring back to the to camp for his teammates, something that you'd never see in today with the diets that uh, these guys are all on and all the food is prepared on site. Um, but, you know, here he is coming back from, from, from pizza and, you know, they're like, the players are reacting like, what are you talking about? He was just here a couple hours right. ago. Right. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's absolutely, he's absolutely gone. And, you know, that, that shock is something that the Bears absolutely uh, never recovered from. During his career, um, you know, Gallimore became pretty involved with civil rights, especially in his hometown of St. Augustine, uh, Florida. So, he, you know, so he was not only a, a great athlete, but he was, he was well-rounded as well. So just a, an absolute great guy. I, you gotta, you gotta look, go to YouTube. I, I, I urge our listeners type in Willie Gallimore and see some of the runs that, that he has that some people have posted on on YouTube, and just this guy, I, if he doesn't get killed in 1964, here's an interesting scenario: Do the Bears draft Gale Sayers? Mm. You know, you just—I mean, they're very similar running backs, very shifty, right. very elusive, very fast, could cut on a dime. Their right. lateral movements were absolutely. You know, two of the most amazing running backs in the in the history of the league. Right. But you know, later in his career, he did have some some knee troubles, a lot like Gale had. So it's it's interesting that that he didn't have the career that Gale had because because he wasn't used as much as Gale was in the in the mid 60s, in mid and late 60s. 
-hmm. because Hallis always used running back by committee. And if you go back and even look at at some of the stats from the seasons that Gale was there, Ronnie Bull, Joe Fortunato, uh, just to just to name a couple, uh, uh, Brian Piccolo is another guy that you know they were always rotating running backs in in mm -hmm. and out of the game to keep them fresh to keep attacking because they always pounded the rock back then, mm -hmm. something that we don't do anymore in today's era. Who does? You know, well, except I for maybe Baltimore. Well, and two, I mean, and you can probably speak to this having gone to, to games. Um, I mean, you were probably at games that weren't even televised. Not that there wasn't TV. I'm not saying that, but that we're not, you know, televised in the way that we're used to. So the game now has so many stoppages of play. So you can you can afford to, you know, have less of a rotation. I mean, back then, you know, they, the game might have been an hour, but they were probably playing more consistently for longer stretches without any stoppage. Um, you know, so you had to have more of like a college, uh, you know, rotation type of a thing going on. Uh, I've been going to Bears games since the, the early 60s. The first game I remember is is in 1965, and I was eight years old. But you're right. The Bears home games, in fact, home games of, of the entire NFL were blacked out because the owners, kind of like Bill Wirtz, to put it into a, a more recent perspective, Bill Wirtz never wanted Blackhawk home games televised to protect the crowds. He wanted, he didn't want them sitting at home watching on TV. They wanted them to be at the games. Uh, that didn't change until uh, mid to late seventies where they, they finally, and then there was the blackout rule where if you didn't have a game sold out 72 hours uh, before game time, it would still get blacked out by the NFL in the, in the home, in the uh, home market. So you're, you're absolutely right was and there were no ties i mean there were no overtimes if the game ended in a tie the game ended in a tie so no game ever lasted you know and, and back in those days games started at one o'clock in in chicago at wrigley field uh, and they started at one o'clock at soldier field for the longest period of time until the the leagues got more involved with network televisions and the, and the contract skyrocketed so they have all the early games starting at noon central time, all the afternoon games starting in the three o'clock hour for the, the second half of the league schedule. And of course, now we have Thursday night games and Sunday night games and Monday night games and commercials out the yin yang because they have billions and billions of dollars that they're collecting from the networks. So those commercial breaks have expanded continue to extend the length of the game in actual clock time, not actual game clock time. Right. So you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It must've been pretty interesting. I mean, uh, I would love to uh, be able to go back in time and see what one of those uh, games felt like, you know, I'm sure it was very different, different feeling, uh, you know, absolutely no distractions, uh, you know, from anything, maybe people had it, I don't know if people would have a transistor radio that they brought to a game back then and listen uh, to something at that point. But otherwise, you were just focused on on what was happening right in front of you. And I imagine, um, you know, really mu not much else. Uh, maybe, a, you know, a, a hot dog, or popcorn, peanuts, that type of thing. 
Here's an interesting scenario in, in Gallimore's rookie season with the Bears. He played for six games. He only played in six games. He rushed for 449 yards, wow. had six touchdowns <laughs> on 50 carries. Wow. He only carried the That's ball 50 times in his in his rookie season in in only in six games so you know that's that's just over eight carries per game and he ran for almost 500 yards and in, in you know six in six tds it's unprecedented why? you know and yeah. of course you know why he didn't get the ball more um you know i guess we'll we'll never know but uh it was exciting to seriously. If, if as soon as you get done listening to this podcast, you have to go onto YouTube and watch some of the videos of Willie Gallimore, and you will look at him the same way I do. He is on a par with Gail Sayers and Walter Payton in, in Bears running back history. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for all that uh, great information. Um, you know, again, it's something we like to do. Uh, it's one of the focuses of this show is to look back at uh, at the rich Bears history. So uh, anything else uh, that we need to, to hit on, Mr. Halitech, or is that going to wrap it up? I think that wraps it up for this week. Next week, of course, the legal tampering. So <laughs> we've all been joking yes. about today yes. will be in full force. And I don't know what time the free agency actually begins. Uh, we record in, during the late mornings on Wednesdays. So the free agency period will either be at just started or beginning shortly thereafter. We finish taping our show next Wednesday. Um, and you, this is one show you're going to need to listen to because our history segment is Walter Payton. Sweetness, number 34, uh, legendary career, led the league in rushing until it was broken by by uh, Emma Smith a few years after he retired. Uh, 1975, he was uh, a rookie. You know how many yards he had his first game as, an, as, a, as a bear? I do None. Not. Seven wow. carries for zero yards against the Colts in 1975. Uh, and then, of course, his career was uh, just kicked off legendary. We'll focus a lot on the 1977 season of Walter. He was the MVP of the year, probably had one of the greatest career years of any running back. Uh, unfortunately, he had to have that career year one year before the league went from 14 to 16 games. He ran for almost 1,900 yards. The only player in a 14-game season to run for 2,000 yards was, of course, O.J. Simpson, who did it a couple of years before Walter's 77 season. Uh, he ended up playing his last game of the regular season in 77 on a field coated with two inches of ice uh, in the, it, at the uh, Meadowlands, playing the New York Giants at the uh, end of the year. New York Giants purposely kept the field uncovered before the game. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. And, of course, you know, he was on the team that won the Super Bowl in 1985. And, of course, he played all the way through the 1987 season. So Walter Payton will be our history segment next year or next week. You definitely don't want to miss that. Until next week, this is Mike Halitech for Halitech Hall saying have a great week. Thanks, everybody. 